Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in one of our readings, the, the one from 1 Corinthians 15, we heard about the nature of our glorious resurrection, the resurrection that will happen at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're taught a little bit about what that's going to look like when we ourselves rise from the dead. And this is in connection with especially that that third benefit that is listed in Lord's Day 17, that Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. But earlier in that chapter, at the very beginning of chapter 15, and I invite you to, to turn to that, so 1 Corinthians 15 Paul insists there on the importance of believing that Christ did, in fact, rise from the dead. I'm going to read a few verses uh, now from earlier in that chapter. So these are verses 12 through 19. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And so he's tying the two together, our own resurrection and Christ's resurrection. So verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's pretty powerful. That's a very strongly worded argument concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's saying, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Everything that we're doing is for nothing. Why do we bother? What are we even doing here if Christ has not been raised? As Christians, we tend to put an awful lot of emphasis, well, and rightly so, we tend to put a lot of emphasis on the atoning work of Christ, the fact that he suffered for our sins, that he was crucified, that he was sacrificed for the washing away of our sins so that we could be forgiven. To many, that is the fundamental truth of Christianity, the first and and most basic thing that we can confess, that Christ died for our sins. Ask anybody, or if you ask someone whether they're a Christian and they say yes, you say, well, what does that mean? They would say something like that. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. It's a very basic confession of Christianity. You might be taken aback and kind of think for a second if, if someone said, yes, I'm a Christian, and, but instead of saying, I believe that Jesus died for me, if they said, yes, I'm a Christian, I believe that Jesus rose for me. I believe that Jesus rose for me. And yet it seems like that might be a more appropriate response. This was the central testimony of the apostles. The central message of the apostles was not that, guess what, we're going to go around and preach Jesus Christ has been crucified. 
and leave it there. No, their central message was that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he lives. He has been raised. That's the message that gives hope to the lost. Are you a Christian? Yes, I believe that Jesus lives. He rose for me. And so our theme this afternoon, Jesus' resurrection is the foundation of our hope. And we'll see three aspects of that, and these three points uh, coincide with the, the three divisions that we see here in Lord's Day 17. So first, it confirms our justification. Secondly, that it brings about our sanctification. And third, it, it, it guarantees our glorification. Those are all four-syllable words. Five-syllable words, too. Um, so we're going to define those also as we go along so that we know exactly what we're talking about. So first, um, it confirms our justification. Second, it brings about our sanctification. And, and third, it guarantees our glorification. And if we're um, looking at how this is arranged, we can see that the resurrection of Christ has benefits that affect the past with our justification, the, the present with our sanctification and also the future for our glorification. So we'll look at first, the first point, Jesus' resurrection confirms our justification. So before we go any further, what does that mean? What does justification mean? Well, I remember being taught in school a very nifty way to, to remember what justification means. What does it mean if I am justified. Well, if I am justified, then that means that God looks at me justified, never sinned. God looks at me justified, never sinned. So that means that I am right with God. God treats me as if I have lived my whole life perfectly, and he does this because Christ's righteousness, the life that he lived, that all gets credited to me. That goes into my account. Okay, so that's justification. So Christ's resurrection confirms the fact that God looks at us as if we're perfect and righteous and had never sinned at all. That's justification. So, we read from Romans chapter 6 earlier, and in that reading, maybe we noticed that there were particular emphases on the nature of our union with Christ, certain benefits that we have because we are united to Christ in his death, and in his resurrection. And so if we were to draw some distinctions from Paul's teaching there in Romans, we might draw it out like this. So first, we are united to Christ in his death, and this means that our old nature is put to death and done away with. So not only our, our sinful nature is put to death, but also our, our sins themselves are addressed. The sins that we have committed are are washed away because they were born by Christ and, and done away with. They were paid for. This is because of his atoning sacrifice, and this is part of how we are able to appear righteous before God. And then we see, on the other hand, that our new way of life is brought about by his resurrection. So we're united to him in his death, and we're united to him in his resurrection. Our old nature is united to Christ in his death, new nature united to Christ in his resurrection. That's something that we see 
in like Lord's Day 33. What is the true repentance or conversion of man? It's the dying of the old nature and it's the coming to life of the new. That's what happens to us when we're united to Christ. So that's the distinction that we would tend to have, that we would tend to hold, that Christ's death equals our justification. The washing away of our sins and the fact that we can be righteous before God. That is what Christ's death does. And his resurrection is what makes us alive, and that's our sanctification. That's our new life that we have before God, where we're able to live the holy lives that God requires us to live. But, if we turn to our catechism, we get a little, a little bit of a different picture. If we review the three benefits that are described in Lord's Day 17, then the very first one that we see there concerns our justification. It has to do with how we are, how we are able to appear righteous before God. We read there, first, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he has obtained for us by his death. That's all justification. So this is saying that our being right with God, it doesn't simply come about by our union with Christ in his death. It also depends on his resurrection. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, that's the argument that Paul makes in, in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we don't share in his righteousness. That's what we read in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And then verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Yes, the resurrection of Christ is pretty important, isn't it? Why is it that way? Why is it necessary that Christ would rise from the dead for you to be declared right with God? Why isn't his death enough? Well, it's because of what it would mean, what we would have to conclude if Christ didn't rise from the dead. If Christ died as a sacrifice for our sins and then stayed dead, what would that mean? If he stayed dead, then our sins would not be paid for. Peter, in preaching to the crowd in Acts chapter 2, he says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So as, as our mediator, as our mediator, this was absolutely necessary to be true. He had to defeat death completely. He had to defeat death completely, and that's because of the very close union, the very close connection that there is between sin and death. If Christ remains under the power of death, then that means that sins are not paid for. Zacharias Ursinus, so he's the author 
the main author of the Heidelberg Catechism, well, he also wrote a commentary on his own catechism. And he explains, he explains this point in this way. Had Christ not risen from the dead, we could not have known that he had satisfied for us. For this would have been a certain argument, that he had not made this satisfaction, but was overcome by death and the burden of sin, because where death is, there is sin. So if Christ remains in death, if death still has power over Christ, then the conclusion is sin is not dealt with completely. If Christ is not raised, our sins are not paid for. And so the proclamation that Jesus lives, this is the triumph of Christ. Because it testifies to the fact that, that Christ not only died as a payment for our sins, but that he was successful. He was successful in making the full payment. He completely paid for our sins. He experienced the full wrath of God. He experienced complete forsakenness of the Father while on the cross, while all of our sins were on him. He died but his work was completed. The payment was made. And so because the wages of sin were completely paid for, death could not hold him. This is the amazing promise that was made already way back in the Old Testament concerning the work of the future Savior. This is something we sang Already this afternoon, Psalm 16. And that's even quoted by Peter in that same passage of Acts chapter 2, where he's saying that death could not hold him. Right after that, he says, he quotes, Therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. This is the promise that death would not be able to hold the Messiah. His death paid for our sins. His resurrection proved, his resurrection proved that he is declared righteous, free from the sins that were placed on him. And so now his righteousness is given to you. It's just given to you. It's given to me as a free gift. What a beautiful Lord and powerful Lord Victorious Lord, we serve. We don't worship a crucified and dead Christ. No, a living and victorious one. How amazing that he would die for us, that he would suffer for us. But even more importantly, he lives. He lives and, and now he brings us into unity with himself. And he does this by causing his spirit to, to dwell in us. We have spiritual union with Christ. And this is how we're able to share in all his gifts. This is something Jesus taught about while he was still performing his earthly ministry. When he was in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles. This is John chapter 7. He says, whoever believes in me. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then there's the explanation here. Now this he said about the Spirit, 
whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, Jesus rose from the dead, glorified. And he gave his Spirit, poured out his Spirit to unite us to himself. And so now what's the effect of that? What's the effect of him living in us through his Spirit? Well, we're born again. We are regenerated. We're able to live the sanctified life. And so that's our second point. Jesus' resurrection brings about our sanctification. Sanctification. Five-syllable word. What does that mean? Well, when someone is sanctified, sanctified, it means that someone is being made holy. Someone is being set apart and, and dedicated to God. So that has to do with your dedication to God, but it also has to do with a certain quality that you have. So a certain holiness. The ability to, to live a, a holy and pure life. So our lives are being purified. Instead of living and walking in sin, we're living and walking in righteousness. Not perfectly, but there's this progression in the Christian life. So that's what sanctification means. By his power, we too are raised up to a new life. That's the second benefit of Christ's resurrection. So in that reading of Romans 6 that we had earlier, Paul is urging the church to understand Understand the reality of our new nature. So in verse 4 he says, We were buried with Christ by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He also writes in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So the resurrection of Jesus... The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, it marks this new thing, this dawn, not only of, of a new day, but a new life for everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ. This new life is a holy life. It's a life that's dedicated to God, a life where by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, we're able to love God and love each other. How does that work? Well, I mentioned a little while ago about this, this close connection between sin and death. They're very closely connected together. If, if sin is paid for completely, then death no longer has power. It's not allowed to. Well, the inverse is also true. The inverse is true when we consider our present life. If we have truly died, if we have truly died, then sin no longer has mastery over us. That's what we read in Romans 6, 9 through 10. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Now listen to this. This is verse 11. So, so what's the conclusion of that? 
so you also must consider yourselves, so account yourselves, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does all that mean? Well, it means that when, so before Christ, before Christ, when we lived according to our old sinful nature, sin acted as our master. We, we couldn't do anything but sin. We were enslaved to sin, completely powerless to make sin stop dominating us, completely powerless to make sin or to, to, to keep from having sin make us yield to its influence. The only thing, the only thing that can make it stop, what's the only thing that can make sin release its grip that it has on you? What's the one thing? It's death. You're death. That's the the one thing that makes sin let go, because it has to. When someone dies, sin has no power anymore. Paul, this is something that Paul explains in the next chapter in, in Romans 7. The law is in force only as long as someone is alive. So, Jesus Christ, so in uniting us to himself in his death, think about that. We're united to Christ in his death. And so when he does this, he's making this ingenious way for us to be accounted as dead, right? We have to be considered as dead, legally dead, so that sin can no longer reign over us. That's amazing. So we die to sin, and now we have been given a rebirth living by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, a new life, a new day. Our mediator, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, and it's in that glorified and triumphant state that he gives his Spirit to his people. He is the one who now makes us alive. It's his own spirit that he gives us, breathing new life into our souls. This, this is who we are today, brothers and sisters. Look around. Look around you at, at the people sitting with you here in church. We should, we should consider each other, the people that you're connected to here, your brothers and sisters here in St. Albert, we should consider each other as if we've, we've all gone to each other's funerals already. We, we said goodbye to the old nature, the one that was enslaved to sin. That old person is dead and gone. And so now today, this afternoon, who are you surrounded by? You're surrounded by people who have been raised from the dead spiritually that's the act of regeneration maybe you think you know i'm i'm speaking with you know a lot of exaggeration here being a bit shocking with that funeral bit but but no that's how it is 
This is how uh, Canons of Dort, chapter 3-4. This is one of my favorite articles in the Canons of Dort. Chapter 3-4, this is like articles uh, 11 and 12. It describes the miraculous nature of regeneration, this, this rebirth. It's as miraculous and awesome as creation itself. It's as powerful as the raising of the dead. That's what we've gone through. Right? And that's exactly what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's as miraculous as the, as the very beginning of the world when God spoke the world into being. The fact that you believe, that's as miraculous as creation. We've been raised to new life because... Because our mediator, Jesus Christ, was raised. That's how he's able to give us these wonderful benefits of his work. It's because he is our head. It's because he took on our nature to suffer and die. So that the work that he does, he does it in our place and he does it on our behalf. He rose so that we could be justified, so that we could be right with God. He rose so that we could be sanctified, made holy and new before God. And he rose so that we will be glorified, since he, our head, is glorified. And that's finally our third point. His resurrection guarantees our glorification. Maybe glorification only needs a little bit of explanation. If you are glorified, then you, know, you are made very glorious. You have much more glory than you have right now. And so a lot of times we'll talk about what life is like on this side of glory, here on, on earth with, with all of its present sufferings and trials and, um, and, and, and the, the sinful inclinations that we still have to deal with. And then there's life on that side of glory. When we are glorified and perfected, it's like this wonderful upgrade that we undergo, that we experience. You know, we have quite little, actually, revealed in God's Word, you know, specifics about exactly what we will be like on that side of glory, and maybe this is just simply because it's, it's something that is so far beyond our ability to, to weigh it, our ability to comprehend it and understand it. It's that amazing and wonderful. There just isn't, there just isn't the capacity in our minds to really get it. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in, the, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. We're going to be different. We'll be changed. Precisely into what? We can't say. But one thing is sure, and that is that you will be you, I will be me, 
And the bodies that we have now will be the bodies that we have at that time, only they will be glorified, imperishable, immortal. And how do we know this for sure? Right? Like we read that and we believe that, but why do we believe that? Why do we believe that that is the case? Well, we believe with a very sure hope because of what was just mentioned. And that is the fact that Jesus Christ became a man that he still has our human nature. And because of that, he continues to function as our head, as our mediator. Right? So as our head, he, he stepped into the office of man and performed and completed everything that was necessary so that mankind could be acceptable to God. And so when he does this work as our representative... Our covenant representative, it's as though we get to ride on his coattails. So whatever, whatever Jesus does and whatever benefits he receives, because we are united to him, we, we get to reap the benefits of his work. Okay? He was raised in glory, and because he has our flesh, because we are united to him, we too will be raised in glory. This is something that we can consider about our our present state right now. This is actually really remarkable. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, he says that we have been raised with Christ, and he has seated us, like today, right now, we are seated in the heavenly places in glory. So even though we're living today in the midst of, you know, everything, every malady that this, that this world has and every, all, all the sufferings that we experience, even though we're still on this side of glory, we are by rights now seated in glory with our Lord Jesus Christ. That's because he is our head, because we are united to him. And so, how does, that, how does that help? Like, what's the so what? How does that help us today? How does that change the way that we live? And how does that affect our perspective on everything in this life? To know that, for sure, that's where we are going and that's what's in store for us. Well, we're encouraged, especially in the middle of the hardships, our present trials, knowing knowing that these things are leading to that glory. You know, God gives us these words of, of comfort, and he does this by holding out to us the hope of that glorious resurrection and what that glory is like. This is something we read in Romans 8, verse 18. We read there that the sufferings of the present time, the sufferings of today, they are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Sufferings of today don't even compare to that glory. So that, that's sort of like having this, this amazing invention, this scale, Let's say there's a scale that exists that is designed to weigh 
incredibly heavy things. Like, this is a scale that could weigh a mountain. Like, it, it, could, it could weigh Mount Everest. Or even, like, make it even crazier than that. This is a scale that is designed to weigh planets. You know, to, to say this planet weighs this much, you know, Earth weighs this much, and Mars weighs this much. This is how much mass these planets uh, contain. And then taking that scale that's designed to weigh planets and then taking a grain of sand and putting it on that scale and expecting it to, to tell you something. Well, no, it doesn't even register. It doesn't even register on that scale. It's like nothing was put on there. That's, that's how insignificant our present sufferings will seem at that time. That's the magnitude of the glory that God is going to make us share in. The glory of God that we will live in and be a part of. Now, this, this isn't to diminish our sufferings. It's not at all. That's not the point of that. This isn't to dismiss the pain that we really do feel. Right? The pain that we really do feel when... Our bodies break down when our bodies become infected by diseases and, and, and we experience true misery. This doesn't diminish the sorrow that we can have in our hearts when, when we experience loss, when somebody that we love dearly, when someone dies, especially when it's unexpected and we're just shocked and and. and and run through by that. If somebody that we love and trust just betrays us, that's, that's real. This doesn't diminish the smothering cloud of depression, you know, that can absolutely cripple our lives and can just make us weep every single day, every single day we live in that cloud. Like those are real things. They're heavy, heavy things, right? But when those very heavy things that, that, that impact us in, in such sharp ways, when those very heavy things are placed on the scale that is designed to weigh our glory, it just doesn't even register doesn't even register. It's a beautiful thing that, that we're able to be reminded regularly what we confess to be true. What exactly is our confession? You know, we're, we're going through the Apostles' Creed, right? This, this run through the catechism. We're confessing to be true that on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, what a tragedy if that were false. If we couldn't confess that. If, if all these amazing things that, that we just were reminded of, suddenly, you know, no, that's not true. Because as it turns out, Christ didn't rise from the dead. How awful. But it is true. It is true. We confess this. And, and in a few minutes, we're all going to stand up together.
and we're going to make this confession. And that's one of the lines that we are going to say. On the third day, he rose from the dead. It is true. It happened. And that's why we have this hope. We know that because Christ rose from the dead, we are righteous before God. Because Christ rose from the dead, we know that we can live holy lives as God's people. We can enjoy the great blessings that our Savior has, has obtained for us. And because Christ rose from the dead, we know that our future is awesome. Amen.